your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome to Maryland Week on Off Tackle Empire. We are, of course, venturing out to a place where the temperature is a little more stable than the Midwest. Um, doesn't really fit in with the, the whole thing where our blog's theme is very Midwestern, but you know what? Sometimes it's nice to have a vacation spot. Maryland, we should be decent. Maryland, we should be decent. Maryland, we should be decent. If they're not decent, they should fire Loxley. Turtle power. If they're um, not decent, fire Loxley. Yeah, pretty much. Don't make me make another remix of that song. Uh, <laughs> Steve Braun and uh, AKA Thumpasaurus. I'm along with Andrew Koscheski, and we are here on Off Tackle Empire talking about everything Big Ten that pertains to Maryland. So we're going to, you know, Maryland is going to vary from their usual pattern here in that uh, look at their offense. It's all loaded up with wide receivers. How about that? <laughs> well, yeah, the great thing about that is you don't know which one of those wide receivers is going to be the obvious NFL guy playing for a four and eight team. I think it's going to be Rakeem Jarrett, but there's, there are other options and that's kind of the thing for them. I mean, as long as they, as long as things stay quiet on the transfer front, they bring back Jarrett. Um, Ja'Shawn Jones should be healthy and they'll still have Dante Dimas, Dante Dimas and Brian Cobbs. They also bring in a transfer from Nebraska and Marcus Fleming. So that's a good spread of receivers, even in a spread offense like theirs. They settled their quarterback question last year in going with Tolia Tungle-Bailoa, and good thing he kind of played decent because then Lance Lejean transferred. So now to Louisiana Lafayette, having... which they're increasingly trying to market as Louisiana, which, which I like a lot uh, because, one, it's shorter to say, and then, two, well, maybe you don't have to use ULL so much. That always confused me because my response to that is always to be UNU. Um, <laughs> it's kind of when I first moved here, Galling is a major dealership. I moved to Michigan where that's a major dealership from you know, living in Champaign for five years. And it says G O L L I N G on the back of everybody's license plate frames. I thought it, I thought they said go Illini for like, I, <laughs> like, you know, I just glance at it and I see those letters and I'm like, yeah, go Illini. Like, so, so you thought Metro Detroit was, I mean, I didn't like think that, but that's what I like, you know, you have that reaction and then you're like, Oh, Oh, galling. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But you know, it, it, cause it's not so much that I thought that it's that it got the attention of my eye for that reason, for being, you know, similar enough in my peripheral visions. Well, anyway, uh, Legendre's departure definitely is uh, <laughs> puts a little bit more pressure on Tagovailoa. Yeah, it does. Well, they've they've got to keep him healthy, which is always a little bit of a little bit of a challenge with Maryland. Um, that being said, given how much of it you can't really control outside of having a good enough offensive line that your guys not getting whacked all the time, you figure they're due to have somebody uh, come up with all their ACLs intact. Yeah. The- <laughs> Their um their offense last year was was so strange. They um they were very much stop and start. It, it was either enormously productive and efficient, or it did very very little. Sounds like um, Mike Loxley. 
yeah well right so in, in a way it's it's kind of a typical Loxley thing um i'm saying that as the, probably the person most familiar with his oeuvre here yeah um they are gonna have to figure out the run game a lot better um the only guy they really got any success out of last year was jake funk who good story you know guy who's been there a long time had a lot of injuries that he fought through and then had a big enough season that he i know he ended up on an nfl team but i don't recall which and he um, got drafted i can't remember who got yeah him, but good for him so now they've got to figure out how to get more out of the running game because they did. Well, they lost. Run. They lost the noise in. Uh, oh my god, what's the name of the guy that plays for the Steelers now? McFarland. Yeah, they lost the noise with McFarland, and now they lost the funk. So they're going to have to bring in both of those things to replace them. They have a couple. So they've got a guy out of the Detroit area here, Penny Boone who they could make use of. And they do still have Tayon Fleet Davis, who's a guy they've mixed in. You know, again, occasionally they have these games where they'll have like five guys go for 40 yards of carry with like long touchdowns. I stuff. like, he's been a part of those things in the past, but he's never been a, a regular contributor. Um, and that's interesting because they had a couple of offensive line starters transfer out. Um, Marcus Minor and Johnny Jordan are both gone. Um, they do still have, I mean, you, if you got to pick a spot that you want to be strong, it would probably still be left tackle. Jalen Duncan's probably a surefire NFL player there. He's, you know, your prototype physically. They're going to have to find a couple new bodies there, but again, they've recruited well enough that that really shouldn't be too much of a problem. Um, What's going to be interesting in the spot where they are in need of uh, much of a lot more help is defensively. Uh, it, it's good that they so and this is where we kind of mar- usually we kind of leave the recruiting as a separate topic for the end of these previews in this case I think it makes sense to talk about it in tandem with the defense because they they have this top 20 national recruiting class and most of them are guys that are projected to play on defense and that's good because this defense needs a lot of help so Unfortunately, um, five-star linebacker Terrence Lewis tore his ACL. It seems like he's probably, if he plays, it's probably going to be towards the end of the season. I haven't checked recently on what his stats is, but obviously, you know, recovering from a torn ACL is not great in terms of a college adjustment, but they've still got a fistful of blue chips coming in. In the front seven in particular, um, three guys on the defensive line, plus Brandon Jennings, another linebacker, who actually flipped away from Michigan, very late in the process. So if there's, if you see a theme here, again, they've got, if, if Lewis had been healthy, they would have had five guys that would be in the, that would probably be in the two deep in the front seven from this recruiting class. Well, what I'm seeing that's more important than that is this man's got four consecutive vowels in his first name there. I'm going to say it's demand. Damian Robinson. It could be, be Damian. I mean, that could be a Damian very, very spelling of Damian. That's how I would say that actually It'd probably be Damian. Um, yeah. Damian Robinson, defensive end, along with a couple of defensive tackles, Taiji Johnson and um, Tommy Akinga. So, so it's a good thing they have all these guys coming in, by the way, because last year, Maryland ranked 115th in the country against the run. So how do you fix that? Well, you pour all of Mike Loxley's considerable recruiting prowess into, oh my God, we need front seven guys. So the question, of course, is, you know, a lot of people that are deeply invested in college football will say, well, yeah, but you got to put the recruits into a system. But 
the reason that we're not able to separate Mike Loxley's recruiting from going through the offense and the defense is because as we've discussed several times, and I don't think there's been any change to this. The plan has been, all right, so what we're going to do is on offense, we're going to get recruits and then we're going to put those recruits onto the field and then they're going to play football. And on defense, we're going to get recruits. We're going to put those recruits on the field and they're going to play football with more talent than the guys that we had here before. And special teams, we're going to have recruits and they're going to play. Uh, what we want to do generally as a program is have recruits and those recruits are going to have more talent than the guys that were recruited behind them. And look, we, we understand that we're simplifying here. Obviously, Mike Loxley knows vastly more about, especially calling and orchestrating an offense than either of us ever have. But again, I still get the sense when I, sometimes when you watch, especially in the games when their offense is not working, you let you look at, they show the shots of their staff on the sideline. And it reminds me of the episode of it's always sunny in Philadelphia, where Charlie is trying to be a lawyer. And he just says, filibuster. Like it's just, <laughs> he's, just, it's, he's just kind of, sometimes it feels like he's just kind of there. Like, well, I've got the crudes. Why isn't this working? Um, well, and there is something to be said to you bring in talented players. You want to scheme around getting the players with the most talent, the ball or getting them the most opportunities to use that talent. So yeah, and I'm not even of, saying that yeah. they're wrong to do that. It's just that it's become increasingly evident that that is the approach. I of course said that from the outset, but you know, only half jokingly, but it does seem that that's been the engine that makes their program go to a greater degree than I think I've ever seen maybe since Ron Zook. Yeah. And so really on both sides of the ball, there's a little bit of commonality here in that they have some stuff to figure out um, along the line of scrimmage Um, on offense. That's certainly true in the run game. They just sorting some things out, but you would think that with this receiver group, the pass game should be fine. And then defensively terrible against the run last year, but you look, there's a couple pieces in the secondary here that you kind of like Tarib still was really good. Um, Nick cross is now going to be a returning starter at safety. Who was a former blue chip himself so and again they've always pretty much every year they've got another guy coming out of that defensive backfield that's nfl worthy so the secondary looks and feels like the strength of the defense the receiver group looks and feels like the strength of the offense same as it ever was in a way we'll see though if now there's a enough of a critical mass of talent for loxley to deploy his have crews will travel sort of approach to this Okay, so we'll pivot now. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not. I got I got a bit lost when I scrolled ahead and I saw Fats Russell. Oh, it's easy to stare down the barrel of that name, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> let's let's backpedal to to, to to football. Do let's look at their schedule here, and this could be an interesting open with uh, West Virginia at home because. West Virginia is a lot, seems a lot more gettable than a few years ago. They do. Um, it, there are some signs that uh, Neil Brown is starting to solidify things there a little bit, but it's, it is a difficult place to recruit to and to win. There's no question. It, it can work when it works, but it, it's a difficult sell sometimes to get recruits to come there. Um, they have interestingly enough made some inroads around here with some recruiting, which is not a welcome sign, frankly, but um yeah, it's, that's going to be an interesting game. As opening games go, I think that's the kind of non-conference game you want to play. Against a team for, that is a fair measure of your abilities, but that you actually have a decent chance to win. I mean, 
I don't think there's a whole lot to be gained from playing, you know, Clemson in the first week of the season and be like, okay, well, we learned we could get killed by Clemson. So that's useful data, I suppose. <laughs> no, I think you'd rather have something in your own stratosphere, even such that even if you lose the game, you might have a reasonable simulacrum of a simulacrum, sorry, of what you're going to see the rest of the season. Yeah. So yeah, West Virginia was uh, six and four in the, well, four and four in the big 12 last year, but uh, they beat Kansas Baylor, who was fairly bad Kansas state, who was 500 and, and TCU um, none of which were, you know, the top of the heap in the big 12. Um, nope, they were just of course noticing that uh, Dave Aranda at Baylor with offensive coordinator, Larry Fedora, which seems to me like uh like probably the most likely place for Tim Beckman to pop back up is over there with the guy that tried to hire him last. But I mean, you could probably get away with that at Baylor better than a lot of other places. Anyway, uh, I digress. So you got West Virginia and Howard and the West Virginia game. If they win that, then this season suddenly looks like it could be not necessarily a breakout, but the, Oh, okay. Maybe this Mike Loxley thing is going to work out. Yeah. Because when West Virginia, you'd feel okay about starting four. No, because you then have Howard, the road trip to Illinois, which I don't think is an automatic win by any means, but still. It's an unknown. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm going to try to be there for that one because it's a night game against a team we've never beaten in one attempt. And, uh, Talent but, advantage for Maryland, I would think. But yeah, it is certainly, a road trip. Certainly it, that. It's a night game. So Illinois has better. more experience, but Maryland has more talent. Um, yeah, and then they wrap up their non-con after that with Kent State. It actually does make Illinois an interesting measuring stick because that's the kind of game where if you're making the most out of your talent, you should be able to win that. But also for Illinois, you know, how much has your coaching improved the experience that you have? Um Interesting game for, for both schools. Uh, of course, Iowa is the fifth game on the schedule. And yeah, crossovers are at Illinois. Um, they then stick a Kent State game in here before hosting Iowa in the beginning of October. And then a couple weeks after that, they go to Minnesota. But of course, so again, we mentioned that if they win that West Virginia game, 4 0 is very much in play. And that's good because then. You host Iowa and then go to Ohio State in consecutive weeks. That's a couple of challenges. And then you get a bye before moving into the rest of your schedule. So, you know, again, do you expect to beat Ohio State? No, but if you roll into that Iowa game with enough confidence to win it and you, you know, get to your bye at five and one, that's not a terrible position to be in. There's a decent chance that they will be, let's say, three and three and three going into their bye. Uh, giving them one of West Virginia and Illinois. Um, But four and two is certainly also likely. So then from their remaining schedule, can they find two wins? You go to Minnesota, host Indiana um, and Penn State, but then you go to Michigan State and then you host Michigan and finish off with Rutgers. So you could potentially see, I could see them winning two of those last three if not all three of them. I think really in the back half of the season, Penn State's probably the only game that's out of their reach. And they've played Penn State. Maybe I'm making this up. I feel as though they played Penn State tight a couple of times recently. Oh, they beat the shit out of them last year. Yeah. Well, but again, that, that was such a weird say. 
man, when we get to Penn State, it's gonna be it's gonna be weird. I still <laughs> I still don't know. What do yeah. you take away from that? Honestly, like it, it's gonna it's gonna be difficult. I don't know. Well, what conclusion I mean, yeah, I think out of all of the teams, if you want to talk about because some teams' results were more meaningful than others. I obviously thought that Illinois' results were very meaningful, uh, as of course did our athletic director. Penn State's results all over the place. It, I think that out of all the, maybe all the teams in the country, their results meant the least to the program as a whole for 2020. Maybe because you could, you could easily say that that Ohio state loss in week two just gave them a three week hangover. Yeah. Well, I mean, after that, it's kind of like, what are you playing for anymore at this point? Yeah. And we, we speculated on that at length last season, but the schedule lines up pretty interestingly. The buy is timed pretty well and that you get it after what's probably going to be a pretty painful trip to the horseshoe. Um, this, this figures to be probably about a seven win team. I think when it's all said and done, I guess that's okay. At this point, you, I, I don't know at what point you expect the breakthrough to come or what you expect the breakthrough to be if you're a Maryland fan, but they're recruiting at a talent level such that you should expect a nine or 10 win season to be coming along here. I, maybe this isn't it. Maybe it is. Um, it, it feels like that's probably at least a year away though. Well, I mean, on defense, I mean, this is, it was a bad defense last year, even with the kind of limited sample size of the shorter schedule that run defense needs so much work. They have a lot of young, interesting pieces coming in, but give that defense some time to season. And, you know, maybe you'll have a stew going for 2022. As a shitty team fan myself. um, One of the things I always look for is how high can we climb in this division? Okay. So Ohio state is the number one Penn state is the number two. There's clear separation in those um because of the way that they recruit uh michigan has for indiana yeah michigan has the juice for number three indiana is the real number three oh okay you could you saved it you saved it did you just put michigan over indiana i didn't i said michigan michigan has the juice to be number three but are not because reasons uh indiana is definitely the number three but then you have Michigan, who's squandering a lot of talent, uh, and then Michigan State, which is in a transitory period. No, 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 no. Let's be honest about this. Michigan State's last right now in this division until they prove otherwise. Yeah, but if, and of course, Rutgers week. is on the way up, but from the sub basement. So there's certainly, you know, Maryland should be aiming to be no worse than fourth in the conference would be a really, really good win for them. I'll say fourth, not fourth in the conference, fourth in the division. Yeah. I I thought that's what you meant. So fourth in the division. Um, Yeah. Cause if not not like you're not, Michigan's not going to be much more vulnerable than they are right now. Yeah. Um, This is the time to make your move and maybe use your established recruiting success. The fact that you're going to have a young defense that should be substantially better in 2022 set yourself up to be the top contender against Ohio state in 2022. That's what this season should mostly be about. Cause I think you should have Tungo Vailoa for that season as well. I think he's got two years left. Um, so yeah, all in all, like I said, you know, a preview of Maryland this year has been what it has been most of the time they've been in the conference. I oh, they should be all right. Yeah. Nothing really should be all right. Got some fun guys on offense. Not very good in the trenches. Um, well, you know, I'm not willing to, I mean, 
I said what I think they're they're if you want to if you want to get technical, their bull case would be right where you could see the the thesis of why they should be good. Uh, what I think is more likely to happen is that they end up around between between five and seven wins seems like the most likely case, but they will be fun to watch. Yeah, which again, we've talked about in the past. If you're not going to be good, you better at least be fun. Yeah, because I think their defense is going to be vulnerable, especially to big plays. Uh, their defense might have the ability to make some big plays of their own, but I don't think, I think anybody that can throw the deep ball well is going to be able to put up points on them. But at the same time, I think they themselves are going to give people fits with the passing game. Yeah. So again, it's especially, probably- especially if they make a little bit of read option work. Uh, again, I am thinking about the 2008 Illini, but um, Tagovailoa is capably mobile. Capably, capably mobile, but also their only option on at quarterback right yeah. now. <laughs> they, they should be cautious about running him too much. Yes. But in theory, this, you know, if, if not now for a bowl game, then when? Speaking of not now, then when? How about earlier than expected for Maryland hoops under Mark Turgeon, what was supposed to be a rebuilding year? Yeah, especially a year when Maryland fans before the season seemed to have finally run out of patience with him and kind of expected that he'd be canned after sucking this year. Yeah, but then he did. Were, were very down on because. It was true that, look, when you looked at it on paper, they have lost Anthony Cowan and Jalen Smith and not really done a whole lot to replace those guys. I mean, they have literal bodies coming in, but in terms of getting getting anybody who could reasonably approximate that lost production, Turgeon just didn't do it. And instead, he, he kind of rescued himself by basically convincing them to commit to defense and they balanced their offense out a lot better too. I mean, the, the problem they did occasionally have with the Cowan and Smith team was that they could be a little top heavy there. Again, that's a pretty good problem to have. That's a conference champion problem to have, but the, you know, the drawback obviously is when those guys were down or were out rather, you have to make up all that production. So of course it was they, also pretty helpful for them to have a, a road game at Illinois fairly early in conference schedule, because of course, Mark Turgeon has this power to stare down Brad Underwood and make him poop a little. <laughs> which is mis- mysterious to me because Mark Turgeon does not strike me as an especially intimidating man. No, not at all, but he is, he has absolutely made Brad Underwood, you know, poop just a little bit every single time they've played. So again, despite a better than expected season last year, we could be looking at a pretty different team this season. Um, Daryl Morcell's status, I believe, is still up in the air in that he both declared for the draft and entered the transfer portal, um, which is weird for a guy who seemed to be kind of their spiritual center. You know, he won Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. He got in a screaming match with Dwight, or with, no, not, uh, not Dwight Howard, Juan Howard. <laughs> which is totally fine, by the way. Um, again, as we as as we mentioned in the context of the Iowa Illinois beef, I don't think it hurts for college basketball to have some beef. Uh, you know, the sport has this perception around it these days of all oh, these guys play AU, they're all friends. There's no there's no hatred. You know, whatever happened to when the Celtics were full of dirty players and the Lakers were way more interesting. Um, you know, whatever happened to those days, <laughs> but anyway, we get a little bit of that, and I think it kind of appeals to a different sort of fan than the modern college basketball fan. So I think it's good that you got a little bit of that. And it, it was fairly harmless. Um, the point is that's and, the guy, Daryl yeah. Morsell. 
Right. So that's him. But again, he it, it looks like he's gone and that he both declared and portaled. Um, for the time being, I believe Eric Ayala and Aaron Wiggins are both officially declared as well, but it seems as though they're both going to return, which is good because that, that's a one-two combo that is still going to, that's a that's a, that's the core of a team that's probably in the top half of the conference, Ayala and Wiggins. Um, they had a few transfers from some lesser used guys. Jairus Hamilton had some moments, but he's gone. Um, Aquan Smart transferred out, as did center Chol Mariel. Those guys were kind of less used. So assuming that Ayala and Wiggins both come back, which again, we think they will, you've got Dante Scott, who's a very interesting kind of sort of undersized but effective stretch for uh, as well as probably, a, you know, I have to think about this because Michigan and Michigan State have both brought in who are their obvious starting point guards. Maryland has done that and then some. So we'll start with first team All American, all name point guard Fats Russell. Oh man, we were at uh, we, we were playing ultimate frisbee yesterday. You could see my Fats Russell a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you just kind of hook yourself up with some cleats, man. I'm telling oh, you. Oh man, gonna, I was gonna... I was out there like a Lovey Smith, Illinois linebacker in coverage, just like, <laughs> oh my god, how is there that much space in the end zone? Yeah, like, hope hope there's no comeback because I'm not changing directions. <laughs> uh, but they added they had again a high quality starting point guard from Rhode Island as well as Kudus Wahab, the center from Georgetown. Which that in of itself, that's at least a second team alternate. Oh yeah, another alternate. very, another very Kudus solid name. Wahab. And, and then slightly less interesting name in shooting guard Ian Martinez from Utah. Uh, yeah, you know, okay, that's fine. Um, so their transfer equation is probably a net positive here. They lose, again, two guys who are deep reserves, another guy who's in the rotation in Jarris Hamilton, Daryl Morcell's situation is kind of weird, but you bring in two definite starters and probably a guy who's one of your first two off the bench. They have a couple of freshman forwards and Ike Cornish and Julian Reese. Ike Cornish, of course, a guy that uh, South Carolina, I assume, desperately wanted. (laughs) Most likely. I mean, Um, imagine a Cornish Gamecock, if you will. (laughs) So... Those are a couple of guys who profile as, you know, kind of role players as freshmen, but could end up being mainstays as upperclassmen. I would expect this is probably a tournament team again. Their ceiling is going to depend, obviously, on what Eric Ayala and Aaron Wiggins do. If the, You know, if whatever you on, think of Mark Turgeon, the fact is that and if you look at his body of work overall, you as a Maryland fan should expect to be in the tournament every single year under him. Absolutely, yeah. Last year should show you that, yeah, he again. I'm I'm not totally clear what happened with his recruiting, why he didn't have ready-made replacements for Colin and Jalen Smith. But it has to be said, he found a way around it. Even if at first the product was was pretty difficult to watch, they found their new identity. And who knows? You know, we're not inside this program. Maybe it was a case of spite from the players saying, you know what, we're gonna win and be good and go to the tournament in spite of this jackass who's in charge. Um, we'll you know we'll see long term. Those kinds of situations always tend to make themselves publicly known at some point so hey man follow wall street all the indicators are that the stock is going to go down and crash here it, so, is it hold. so you so will it instead saying? go up no it might just trade flat so that nobody really gets any advantage out of it <laughs> i was gonna say so what you're saying is turp hands to the moon <laughs> more or less yeah just uh, i would not be buying options at this point 
source for big gun talk. It's off tackle and